Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 58 of A Yank on the Footy. I'm Craig Wessels from Sandusky, Ohio, and I'm glad that you're listening. Before I dive into the episode, I feel as though I must uh, touch on the obvious news story that's captured the world's attention. Here in the United States, of course, we had our election day last Tuesday. This is uh, Sunday afternoon that I'm recording this. And while uh, former Vice President uh, Joe Biden is the projected winner, the Trump administration or the Trump campaign, I should say, is exploring areas where they believe there may have been voting improprieties. Um, I've been a high school government teacher now for 27 years, and while the 2000 election in Florida was very interesting, this, I think, certainly overshadows it. I've not seen anything like this, and I can safely say I don't have a clue how this is going to end up. It's very likely that Joe Biden is the winner, but... We shall see. There are a number of lawsuits that are being proposed or filed. Supposedly a lot of that's going to be happening tomorrow. At the time that I'm recording this, I'm not sure exactly what's going to be happening. I told my students uh, the best I could. Here's what I think might happen. But again, I really don't know, guys, because we're kind of in uncharted territories here. So bottom line, the Electoral College uh, is scheduled to cast their votes on December the 14th. Uh, so I think it's safe to say that there won't be anything definitive until at least that point. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to get into which candidate I support or I don't support because that, that's germane to the, uh, to the podcast. That doesn't matter. It's, it's been interesting. It's been fascinating watching the reaction from people on social media, not only here in the States, but from Australia as well, because there are certainly people on both sides of the aisle who are supporting the vice president and the president. Valid reasons on both sides. So it's been fascinating to watch their reactions, who they're supporting, who they're cheering for. You know what? We're talking about an election here in the States. We're going to talk about who they're rooting for. <laughs> I know that when it's time to elect a new prime minister, it's who they're cheering and who they're supporting. Uh, but one thing before I, I move on from this, and I, like I said, I'm not going to spend much time on this at all because it's it's not really that vital to my podcast, but I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention it because it's everywhere on social media. I did want to give a big shout out of thanks to Craig Smithers from Perth. Uh, he's a big uh, Tiger supporter. And he sent a uh, video clip to me from uh, the ABC network there from a gentleman by the name of Sammy J, who uh, did a little piece on the presidential cup horse race. And it was absolutely hilarious. And I, uh, I shared it with my students, my four government classes this week, and they loved it. They thought it was hilarious. And uh, best I can say, Sammy J, I think you're right. It is a shit show. So if you haven't checked that video out yet, I did put a link to that in the show notes. I think you'll enjoy it. It's about four minutes long. Very funny. Very funny. Now, while we're on the subject of national leaders, I, I wanted to give a shout out to a, uh, a new podcast that I discovered just yesterday, as a matter of fact. I, I'm always on the, uh, the prowl for new podcasts to listen to. While I'm doing a podcast about footy, and I listen to a lot of footy podcasts, what really drew me to listening to podcasts was the true crime genre and 
looking at mysteries and things of that nature. And I ran across one called Weird Crap in Australia. And just the title alone kind of piqued my interest. So I, I went ahead and subscribed to it on the, uh, the podcast uh, hosting site that I use. I use one called Stitcher, uh, which is a, a great site. And uh, I listened to their debut episode from back in 2018. And I had no idea that this happened, but uh, it dealt with the disappearance of Australian Prime Minister Harold Holt back in 1967. Now, I was only four when that happened, so I'll be honest with you. When I was four, I don't even know if I knew that Australia existed at that time. Uh, Reminds me of a quick funny story with my, my son, who's now in his early 20s. Uh, back when he was about three, he, uh, he and I were creating a puzzle that had probably 200 different classic Disney characters on it. And he'd watched a lot of Disney films and we got to the, there was a section that had, uh, Pinocchio. There was a section that had Peter Pan and it had Captain Hook on there. And he looked at me as a three-year-old and he said, uh, he said, dad, what was Captain Hook's name? before the alligator ate his arm. I didn't have an answer for that. I had no clue. That was a question that he, he said to me, and I was like, I don't know, but I will see if I can find out. And I uh, reached out to a very, very close friend of mine who was a librarian, who was actually my fourth grade teacher, was my neighbor when I was born, lived next door to my parents. So I'd known her literally since conception. And she researched it for quite a while, and she couldn't really find an answer either. So, does anybody happen to know what Captain Hook's name was before he became Captain Hook? I'd love to know. Um, but back to the the Harold Holt uh, story, I thought it was fascinating, and it was a really interesting story. And the host there, you know, gave some interesting theories. Uh, one involving a, a Chinese submarine uh, regarding his disappearance. So, if, if you're interested in that story about Harold Holt. Or if you're just interested in uh, history or true crime and that sort of thing, I, I strongly recommend checking out Weird Crap in Australia. Looks like it's going to be a fun podcast. I've listened to three episodes now, so by all means, check them out. A lot of fun. They didn't ask me to give them a shout-out. I went ahead and did that all on my own, but uh, it was it was enjoyable. Now, before I dive in, one last thing I wanted to touch on. And for those of you who were in the U.S., and most of you in Australia have probably run across this already, but I wanted to highly recommend a television show to you. If you're a fan of the True Detective series that was on HBO, there's a series I think you're going to love, and it's on Acorn TV called Mystery Road. Now, there were two films that were done prior to the series. There was one called Mystery Road and another one called Goldstone, and they're both based on the same main character. And... uh the Mystery Road movie is free to watch on YouTube, and the Goldstone movie, based upon what I saw online, is on Netflix. But what was interesting about it was, and the second season just came out here in the States uh, about three weeks ago, and the sixth and final episode is going to be released tomorrow sometime. I've watched the first five, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it wraps up. But what's really interesting about this is it looks at criminal investigation in the northern parts of Western Australia amongst a large indigenous population. And it's, it's fascinating to just see how the history of the, the people 
that are indigenous, how much it plays a factor in their lives. And it, you know, even though this is a television series, it's fictional, you know, it's a drama. They have sprinkled in quite a bit of, from what I can gather, you know, accurate representation of, of what people living in this part of, of Australia are dealing with it. To me, it was fascinating. So if you're here in the States and you've got Acorn TV, I strongly suggest taking a look at it. It's been a lot of fun. Like I said, I've watched True Detective. It reminds me an awful lot of that. So if you enjoyed that series, I think you'd like uh, Mystery Road. So that's on Acorn, by the way, as well. Now, all right, there's been uh, some interesting footy news this week. Uh, even though there hasn't been a resolution for many things, there haven't been a, hasn't been a whole lot of movement this week. First off, the Adam Trelor saga it continues. It moves into its second week now, and it doesn't look like there's going to be a resolution, but I think everybody involved has resigned themselves to the fact that Adam Trelor is not going to be in Collingwood next year. And it sounds like that Trelor has resigned himself to that as well. Now, the Magpies have announced that they're willing to pick up $100,000 of Trelor's contract for each of the remaining five years in order to clear the rest of his contract off the books. You know, I, I, I get it. Um, there are also some rumblings that the Bulldogs could be an option in in making a deal with uh, the Magpies, which I think Frode might be happy about that, but he might not be happy about the the step that has to take place before this would was to occur. And uh, that is that uh, Josh Dunkley is looking at possibly moving from the Bulldogs to Essendon. Now, from what it sounds like, the, the Bulldogs are trying to ensure that they are able to bring in enough draft capital in terms of the, the points needed to bid on Jamar Uglehagen. And I think I've got his name pronounced correctly there. I apologize if I do not, who's supposed to be up there towards the top of the draft this year. And it sounds like it's somebody who is a legacy with the uh, the Bulldogs that are wanting to make sure that they have the ammunition to go up and, and bring him into the red, white, and blue. You know, and I get the uh, business side of this, but as I said in last week's episode, you know, it's a shame that this young man is, is being subjected to this. You know, he signed a contract in good faith with Collingwood. Like I said, I understand it's a business. Uh, you know, it looks as though Jaden Stevenson might be on the way out as well. You know, and I am, I'm curious though, and maybe as a Pies fan, you can let me know. Didn't the people involved in list management and that sort of thing not know that there could be some potentially serious cap issues with some of the stuff that they had done, especially with these back-ended contracts? You know, I, I, I'm i not an expert by any stretch of the imagination in terms of how the salary cap works in Australia. From what I've heard, there there are opportunities for you to maybe underpay in one year and allowed to he- carry over some of that money into a subsequent year, but... It sounds like the Magpies have got themselves into some serious uh, cap issues, what in the NFL they call salary cap hell, where they have a lot of dead money on their salary cap and they can't actually go out and invest in the players that they want to have because they've paid bonuses to people who are no longer with the club or whatever the case may be. But, you know, I read this, uh, one of the articles I read this week um, said that, you know, a club that brings in Trelor would be able to restructure his contract. So if they still owe him the equivalent of, I don't know how much it is, $4 million over these last five years, or I think it's actually $4.5 million, if I'm not mistaken, over these next five years, 
that they could restructure it and spread it out and maybe front load the new contract a little bit more or level it out to where it's even. As long as they didn't short him any money, that they could redo the contract to help fit within the parameters of their salary cap. So we'll see what happens here. You know, it looks like the Bulldogs might be an option, but of course, you know, it uh, it all has to do with uh, what happens with Josh Dunkley. And speaking of Dunkley, he's he announced last Thursday that he, what had previously been alluded to, that he does want to go to the Bombers. And it, it sounds though that he wants to find himself playing one position more consistently. It looked as though he was uh, moved around the, the grounds quite a bit last year with the Bulldogs, and he wanted to have a little more consistency. Um, but it, it, it does sound as though the Bulldogs are saying, but you know what, we do want to play you as an inside midfielder more consistently now, so we're hoping that you might consider wanting to stay with us. You know, they've been initially reluctant to deal deal him, but it sounds like it may be the best thing for both sides uh, in the long run to, to send him to Essendon and allow them to bring back some draft capital. Again, we should know by Thursday what happens, but, uh, you know, it looks like we're going to be running, you know, we're going to be running into the end of the uh, trade deadline and something's going to have to shake loose here. And, you know, we've got several other deals that are out there. And the biggest one that remains to be resolved is, of course, the, uh, the deal between the Cats and the Giants. You know, the Giants have basically made their wishes known regarding what they want from the Cats. And they've listed a couple of players. I think Sam Simpson was on that list. I believe that uh, Asava Radigalia was on that list of players that they want, as well as multiple first-round picks, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I, I read an article, and again, I linked to this one here, that Nick Del Santo uh, talked about how he, he's in favor of the Cats basically doing whatever they have to do and give whatever they have to, to give to the Giants in order to get Jeremy Cameron into the hoops. He argued that when you boil this all down, you're basically making a trade Tim Kelly for Jeremy Cameron is what's happening here because the Kelly deal brought in a lot of picks to the cats and they're going to be able to turn around and uh, utilize some of those picks and some of those players. Yeah. As I said last week, as a cat supporter, I'd love to see Cameron added to the list, but is there a price that's too high to pay? Is there a, uh, to quote the, uh, Late Kenny Rogers song and the gambler, you know, you have to know when to walk away, you know, know when to fold them, know when to hold them. And I know I just butchered that song, but uh, you get the idea. I'm not going to sing it. Um, you know, I, in my time following the Cats, you know, they have struggled mightily to find any kind of consistency in the ruck position. It seems to be, and again, I don't think they're unique in that situation. You've got, you've got a handful of clubs that have their ruck position figured out. The D's, the Pies. West Coast, when he's healthy, they've got their ruck positions pretty much figured out. Looks like the uh, the Crows might have theirs figured out with uh, Riley O'Brien. But there are a lot of other clubs, you know, the Bulldogs with, uh, you know, they've got theirs figured out as well. But there aren't many clubs that couldn't use an upgrade at the ruck position. Reece Stanley's done a decent job this past year. He stepped up and had some terrific games. He got banged up a little bit, had a bit of a knee problem. But behind him, there hasn't been a whole lot of depth. There hasn't been a whole lot of depth there. Ryan Abbott's gone. Wiley Buzza went to Port Adelaide. His, he's been delisted. Radicalia has been talked about as being you know, either a complimentary full forward or possibly training to be a full-time ruck. You know, he's a young kid. I believe he's 21 years old. He can jump. He can, you know, 
in, if using a basketball analogy, he can jump out of the gym. Is he somebody that you want to give up and watch go have a great deal of success with another club? Are you going to be able to fill out that backup ruck position and have somebody that can step in behind Reese Stanley? Sure, they can go back to Mark Blickhavs again, but you're then taking away from the strength of one part of your, your club in order to, to fill up a backup spot there by moving him out of the defensive position that he, that he normally plays. You know, Radigley has had some success with the, with the pies and I, and I think he might be a good long-term solution in the ruck, but this all comes down to the cats having to sit down around the table and say to themselves, can we win the premiership next year with this list or do we need to have Jeremy Cameron on this list in order to win it next year or to contend for it next year? I'm not, I'm not saying that if they, if Cameron comes aboard that they've automatically won it. I'm trust me. I'm not saying that at all. Cause again, you've got to believe that Richmond are still the favorites and uh, you know, it's, it's going to be some hemming and hawing back and forth between the people who are going to have to decide yeah, let's go ahead and pull the trigger on this deal and let's send these two first-round draft picks or this pick and two players or whatever the case may be. Because, you know, the the Cats have to be thinking to themselves, you know what, we have a list that is a little bit older than some other clubs. In fact, it might be one of the older ones. We've seen what happened to Hawthorne last year where they had that precipitous drop-off are we going to be able to avoid that? Do we have enough of a young influx of talent after shipping out Radigalia, possibly Sam Simpson, whomever they send to GWS? Do we have enough young talent here to help fill the roles that we need filled in the subsequent years, knowing that we're relying right now on several several people who are on the wrong side of 30? Now, it does sound like the Cats are trying to open up some more space in their cap to maybe retain some other younger talent. There's been discussions from what I have read between the cats and Jack Steven uh, about possibly buying out his contract. Uh, Sounds like Jack Steven may not be convinced that he wants to continue playing, that he may be stepping away from the game. And I don't know if that's the case or not. You know, it's kind of sad to see him go on kind of a down note. You know, as a guy who had a terrific career with, with the, uh, with the saints and, you know, just spun his wheels this year. I mean, with COVID and then with the, the, the stabbing incident and just not being able to get into the 22 often enough and trying to fit in, you know, it's kind of, it's a rather inauspicious ending for, for somebody who was such a talented player. So we'll know Thursday what's going to happen here. Cause somebody's going to blink. Somebody's going to, you know, Pull the you know pull the trigger on this and say yes we're going to go ahead and make this deal and again that is all in the cats court because the cats can simply walk away from this and then the giants might have to find themselves working out a deal with someone else some other Victorian club we shall see we shall see now the other big news story this week that came out of Victoria is that the uh, the state government Victoria has committed a forty million dollar payment to help complete the overhaul and upgrade to uh, GMBHA Stadium or Cardinia Park, if you will, in Geelong. Now, 
this upgrade is going to replace the uh, Ford stand and the Ablett Terrace. Both of those names I'm pretty confident will stay in some capacity at the renovated stadium. Something else is going to get named for Ford and the Ablett name. I, I don't think the Cats could not have those names on their stadium somewhere. It would have to be. Now, it, this is ultimately going to increase the capacity of the stadium up to around 40,000 people. Now, this is great news for the Cats. It makes them a viable candidate to actually host a home finals match should they earn the right to do that rather than having to go to Marvel or to the MCG to, to play a home final game. Maybe they'll get to play on their own grounds. Now, again, this is great news for the Cats. It's great news for footy. It's going to allow four, you know, another 40,000 people to be, I'm sorry, another 40,000, another 4,000 people to be added to the, uh, to the seats. But, you know, I was wondering, you know, just how involved the, uh, the state governments were in the operation and the ownership of the different venues. And I did a little bit of digging and I, and I, I looked at the, uh, the list and, you know, of the nine main stadiums that are used, or the nine main facilities that are used, you know, the Adelaide Oval, the MCG, Marvel, GMBHA, Optus, the GABA, Metricon, the Sydney Showgrounds, and the City Cricket Grounds. I looked at those, and seven of those are, own, are owned solely by their respective state governments and then given license to corporations to operate the stadium, to run the stadium, but they're owned by the state governments. Um, Metricon is a, a joint venture between two different levels of government in Queensland and the AFL, and Marvel and GMBHA are the only two that I can find that are privately owned. Now, this is a huge issue here in the United States when it comes to stadium construction and stadium renovation. Team owners, and again, this is where there's a huge difference between the AFL and sports here in the United States because teams here in the States are owned by individuals or by families. The Cleveland Browns are owned by a guy by the name of Jimmy Haslam, who is from Tennessee. Uh, the Cleveland Indians are owned by a, a gentleman by the name of Paul Dolan, who's from the, I believe from the Cleveland area. The Cavaliers are owned by a uh, guy who runs a mortgage company out of Detroit. The, you know, the Yankees are owned by the Steinbrenner family. The, you know, so a lot of teams are owned by an individual family or an individual person. And it is their, it is their business, if you will. Now they, they have other businesses that, that have allowed them to amass the fortunes that they have to buy the teams that they own. But what has happened here in the United States is that uh, quite often, the stadium construction and renovation, you know, have they've been, it's been a mixture of, of local government, like city government, county government, if you will, depending upon where you happen to be, and private ownership. Okay, where the the and what ends up happening quite frequently is that the owners of these clubs will hold their cities hostage. It's the best way I can describe it. Basically saying, you know, build me a new stadium, renovate my stadium. Or I'm going to take my team to another city who will build me a new stadium. That hap that happens a great deal. It happened, you know, it's happened all over the place. If you're an NFL fan, look what just happened with the Raiders. The Raiders in the last 
40 years were the Oakland Raiders, the Los Angeles Raiders, the Oakland Raiders, and now they're the Las Vegas Raiders playing in a multi-billion dollar stadium. The team owner wanted to have a new stadium built in Oakland. The state of California refused to fund it. Las Vegas, Nevada said, hey, we've got lots of money here, which they may or may not have. We'll build you a new stadium. Come play here. So they did. That team is no longer in Las Vegas. Back in 1995, right here in Cleveland, Ohio, they had just built a the new facility uh, where the uh, the Cavaliers and the Indians play, and we'll get I'll talk about them in a little bit more in, in a minute here. But the Cleveland Browns had shared a stadium with the Cleveland Indians. It was a multi-use stadium. It's kind of like you know the MCG where you play, have footy being played, you've got cricket being played. You basically had the equivalent of that being played at Cleveland Municipal Stadium, which was right on the lake. It's actually the same site as the Cleveland Browns Stadium today. They tore the old one down and built this new one. But the owner of the team saw what was happening for the basketball team, saw what was happening for the baseball team, and wanted to have a new stadium of his own. And the community dragged their feet on it. He began reaching out to other cities saying, hey, you know what, can you throw us a bone? You know, If we come to your city, will you build us a new stadium? And the city of Baltimore said, sure, we will build you a new stadium. And in 1995, a year after the Indians and the Cavaliers moved into their new downtown homes, the Browns left Cleveland and moved to Baltimore and became the Baltimore Ravens. Now, they played in the old... Uh, Baltimore Colts Stadium for a year or two as they were building what is now, I believe it's M&T Bank Stadium. And the Browns, the city of Cleveland, were able to salvage uh, the retention of the Browns team name, the team colors, the history of the team. So when the team left Cleveland, they basically became a new franchise. It became the Ravens. There was no history for the Ravens. So there were no long-term records for the Ravens and that sort of thing. Their years, their first year started in 1996. And it wasn't until 1999 that the new Cleveland Browns came back to Cleveland with a brand new stadium because the city realized, you know what? We, uh, we, we, we didn't do this. And if we want to have football here, we're going to have to build a new stadium. But my question for you is, uh, what do you think about the idea of taxpayer money being used to renovate privately owned stadiums? If taxpayer, you know, $40 million is going to GMBHA Stadium. That's $40 million of Victorian tax dollars. Is that something that, that you as a citizen of Victoria are happy with? Or would you rather see your money being spent elsewhere? You know, I, I, and again, I don't know. I, to me, I'm kind of thrilled about it because what that does is that when I finally make the trek to Australia to, uh, to go watch a couple of games live, there are 4,000 more opportunities for me to be able to find a seat at GMBHA Stadium. Okay, so I, in my own little selfish way, I'm thrilled that it's happening, but many of you may not be very pleased about your tax dollars going to something that a, that's a, a private company, if you will, a private entity. You know, when they built the 
the Cavaliers and the Indians stadiums. And I think they actually did the same thing then with the, uh, with the Cleveland Brown stadium. They, they put in place in the city of Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, which is the County in which Cleveland re- resides. And I think they did it in a couple of surrounding counties as well. They put in place what was called a syntax. And what this was, what they, they put a new tax on cigarettes and alcohol. So if you were, if you bought if you bought alcohol in Cuyahoga County and I believe a couple of other counties surrounding them I think Summit and I think maybe Lorain County uh, or if you bought cigarettes in those counties they added on an extra like fifty cents for a six pack of beer or an extra fifty cents for a pack of cigarettes and that money went towards the construction of this new complex the the two stadiums the uh, what's now uh, Oh, I don't even know what's it called now. Oh, it's uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is what it's called now. That's the uh, company that uh, the team owner operates, a mortgage company. And then you have uh, Progressive Field, which is where the Indians play. And it's, it's the licensing there is from an insurance company. So, yeah, one of the things that was interesting is that one of the things you could not do in these new stadiums, of course, you couldn't smoke. You had to pay a tax to buy cigarettes for your personal use at your home and your car walking down the street or whatever, but you could not light up a cigarette in either one of these facilities. Now I'm not a smoker. Haven't been a smoker. I grew up around a lot of smokers. I've got asthma, not something I ever intend on doing, but it was, it was just tragically ironic that here are these people who are ponying up all this money to pay for this complex and they don't get to do the thing that they love to do while at this complex. I just thought it was rather interesting that that was the case. So I would love to hear what your thoughts are as far as uh, the use of public tax dollars on on private businesses like GMBHA Stadium and Marvel Stadium. I, I'd love to hear from you and hear what you think. So you know, so send me send me a note, send me a DM on Twitter, send me an email. Let me know what your thoughts are on that. I'd love to know. Now, over the next couple of weeks, I wanted to let you know I'm hoping to have my merch store up and running. So if you're in the market to buy yourself a gift for Christmas, because if you're listening to this, you probably are not, you know, going to have somebody else necessarily listening with you that's going to say, hey, you know what? I want to get that gift for my loved one. Now, hopefully there are two of you sitting around listening. That'd be fantastic. But if it's only you, you owe yourself a Christmas gift. So here very soon, I'm going to have my merch store up and running, and I'll have a link for it in the show notes. I'll have it out there on social media as well. Uh, I think I've nailed down which facility I want to utilize, and this is an organization that actually does what's called print-on-demand, and they have printing facilities in the U.S. They have printing facilities in Europe. They also have printing facilities in Australia. I believe they're located in Melbourne. So if you were to purchase any of this stuff, it would be created for you as you order it and then sent directly to you from Australia, if you're in Australia, or here from the U.S., if you're in the U.S., or if you happen to be listening in Europe, in Europe. Now, it's been, I've noticed on my uh, my list of listeners, it's been, it's been interesting seeing all of the new uh, countries where somebody is listening, and I had... I've had the last uh, couple of weeks, I've had a couple of listens from the country of Russia, which has really been interesting because it's fun watching the 
the countries light up on my map of where the downloads are coming from. And right now, about 60% of the people who are listening are in Australia. About 33% are here in the United States. And then the rest are from other places around the world. I've got, you know, I've got people that I keep in touch with that, that live in several countries around Europe and in, in uh, Southeast Asia as well. But it's been, it's been really neat to see those different places light up on the screen saying that, uh, you know, here's where somebody's listened from. And I've got listeners now from 42 out of the 50 states here in the U.S. So if you're in Hawaii and you haven't listened yet, you should tune in because I haven't had anybody in Hawaii yet or in Vermont for that matter. And I think Rhode Island might be one of the other ones as well. Now, again, be on the lookout for the merch store. It's going to be coming out soon. I've got a couple, you know, I have to give a big shout out to, uh, to IB, I don't want to identify this person. It's a former student of mine who took my ideas and created what I think are some pretty good designs. I've got a couple of other designs in mind, which might be just a tad bit edgier that I quite frankly don't feel comfortable asking a student to create. So I'm going to be looking for another graphic artist to create those. I think it's a, a, a really interesting line of, uh, or a direction to go with, uh, with some of these, these, uh, bits of merchandise. So, um, I'm looking forward to getting those out as well, but IB did a fantastic job on this and I cannot thank her enough for the, the efforts that she put forth. I, I did pick up a pretty nice Starbucks gift card for her. I, I, I knew she drank Starbucks cause she was a former student of mine. She, she was one of my model UN kids for six years. So somebody I've known for several years. Now, I do have several uh, interviews lined up for the conclusion of the trade period. Uh, Many of them are with people who are tuned in specifically to the clubs that they support. And this is going to be an opportunity for us to look back at the steps that their clubs have taken to improve their list. And speaking of list size, you know, I I sure hope that the comp has at least let the teams in on uh, how many players they're going to be carrying next year. I guess they don't have to tell us, but it sure would be nice if the if the teams knew, and maybe they do know. Uh, you know, I've heard some estimates that the list size might be dropped down to about thirty eight, and you know, I I wonder, you know, what happens, and, and you know, knock on wood, what happens if a, a a club is absolutely devastated by injuries and doesn't even have you know, 26 healthy bodies, they're 22 that they named for the game, plus their four emergencies. Do they have the ability to go somewhere else and add somebody to that list? I know there's the mid-season draft where they can bring somebody in. But even after that, if they brought that one person in, is there something else that they can do to uh, to try to fill out their lineup? Can they go down to one of the uh, the clubs that are playing at the VFL or the Sandful level? And, and pick up a player from one of those comps to bring in for a round or two? I honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. So I'm, I'm asking just because I was curious. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget that if you'd like to sign up for the mailing list uh, so you can get the uh, new episodes delivered to you first, there's a link in the show notes. It's a real short, like, three-question questionnaire if you want to sign up. I'm up to about 25 people on the list. I had somebody new sign up this past week. Also, if you've got an idea for a show topic, 
or if you feel there's somebody that you know that I should be reaching out to and have as a guest on the show, please feel free to drop me a DM on Twitter at yank underscore on or shoot me an email at yankonthefooty at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Don't forget that you can find all of the episodes of this podcast at yankonthefooty.podbean.com. You can also find it at your favorite podcast host provider. You can also find it on YouTube. Just search out my name, Craig Wessels. And now that you've listened, I would love it if you'd consider giving me a review on Apple Podcasts. I know that, you know, that's sometimes a little bit of a hassle to go on there if that's not the uh, the format that you use and scroll through. But sure would let me uh, know what you think of the job I'm doing and what I could do better, um, what I need to work on. And it lets the podcast know, know what you think of the show as well. Don't forget that you can reach me at a yank on the footy at gmail.com as well as on Twitter at yank underscore on. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at a yank on the footy. Before I go, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank Joseph McDade for a couple of uh, his pieces of music, Backplate and Elevation. He's created some fantastic music. You can find him not only on Spotify, but also at josephmcdade.com slash music. Thank you, sir. Truly appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening. Because while we're all fans of this game, and we're fans of our teams deep down, we all love this game, and that's the game of footy. And for those of you who are in, Aust- are in the U.S. or in Canada, don't forget that Australian rules football, it's why they invented the DVR. Again, thanks so very much, ladies and gentlemen. And I ask that you consider sharing the podcast with your friends and family. Send them a link, okay? They'll, they'll thank you for it. And ladies and gentlemen, may your dribble kick never hit the post. I'll catch you later. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode number 58 of A Yank on the Footy. Don't forget, you can reach me at yank underscore on or at yankonthefooty at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at A Yank on the Footy. Again, thanks for listening, and please consider sharing the podcast with your friends and family. And until next time, goodbye.